On this entry of Animation Deliberation, we are continuing our coverage of Young Justice Season 3, aka Young Justice Outsiders. Stay tuned for that right after some ads we have no say over whatsoever. You're invited to explore cypress swamps and magical gardens and float along the rushing waters of an old-fashioned swimming hole. Plan your journey at visitmississippi.org slash outdooradventure. Mississippi, wanderers welcome. You're invited to take a vacation from everybody else's vacation to a place where you can explore cypress swamps and magical gardens and see a 65-foot waterfall that once powered an old mill that you can walk through today. Or just float along the cool, rushing waters of an old-fashioned swimming hole. See the places and plan your journey at visitmississippi.org slash outdooradventure. Mississippi. Wanderers welcome. Sing along if you know the words. One, two, three, it's time for animation deliberation. A conversation and a celebration of our favorite action animated series. Yeah. All right, folks, welcome back to Animation Deliberation, the podcast that takes action animation and cartoons seriously, but not too seriously. I'm your host, J. Scotty St. Clair, and I am joined by the other half of Animation Deliberation, the dream team that started it all. Mr. Zuhair Ali. What's up, Zuhair? How are you? I'm welded and feeling the Astro. How are you? Uh, I couldn't have said it better myself. We were having a, a few technical difficulties this morning, but that's just kind of, um, I feel like that's fitting for, for Young Justice. Every team has to have its training and, and trial by fire, but uh, we're ready to execute the mission now. Yeah, we're still working on our boom tomb technology so that we can just record in person one day, but um, we got we got a little bit of time before we get to there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you're not feeling well one day and you just like suddenly have a boom tube emerge from you, I'll uh, look forward to your your visit that day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling nauseous. Oh, hey. Uh. <laughs> uh. Anyway, anyway, so um, I do want to say right off the top, you know, Young Justice is kind of the the show that was our bread and butter. It was the the show that this podcast started our coverage. Um, we were looking forward to to season four, and we finally have the announcement of season four um, very very soon. So I do apologize for kind of the sporadic nature of our coverage and the fact that we're kind of down to the to the wire here. But we definitely want to give due diligence to to season three. Um, with that being said, I know we've gotten some feedback that pertains um, all the way back to season one as well as season two. So the plan there is once we get through season three um, as well as season four, we're gonna, just going to kind of do a catch-all uh, feedback episode for all of Young Justice. So continue to send that stuff in to animationdeliberation at gmail.com. We definitely appreciate it. Um, on the other side of housekeeping, we did have that September review contest in which we got a whopping 137 new five-star reviews. So I'm incredibly grateful for that. Zuhair, we're going to start uh, reading some of those reviews, and you've got one queued up for us today, correct? All right, so Heart This Game says, Awesome. As a huge animation fan, this podcast is perfect for me. I love the discussions and banter so much. The what-if coverage has been my favorite. 
I'm glad you liked the what if stuff. Uh, it was awesome being able to cover something MCU. I didn't think that they'd actually come up with an animated series. And of course, they were like, oh, snap, Zoo and Jay Scotty are doing an animation podcast. We should definitely make an animated show just for them. So thank you, Marvel. And thank you, Heartless <laughs> Game, for your feedback. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, what If has been a ton of fun to cover. Uh, I'm a huge MCU fan, as, and I know you are as well, Zuhair. So uh, not only was it just a ton of fun to coverage, it was a huge growth opportunity for the show. So uh, I'm really excited for season two and was extremely satisfied with with season one. So good times. Yeah, for all the Marvel fans that are hopping into our show for the first time, thank you for coming. We do talk DC, so if you ever do have a superhero shortage with MCU and want to pick up some DC content, we'll tell you the ones to go to. Oh yeah, we cover it all here. We cover it all. DC, Marvel, anime, uh, independent, Dark Horse, Vertigo, what have you. Even I'm excited to cover some things that aren't even necessarily connected to to comics like we brought up uh samurai jack a number of times on this show so uh yeah. simpsons oh yeah yeah that's right we did uh diverge and do the simpsons that one time <laughs> yeah you never know that could that could happen again but let's uh let us talk some dc specifically young justice on this particular episode we're covering part two of season three and that's episodes seven through 12. So Zuhair, we didn't really talk about it up front, but you know, usually when we do this coverage, we kind of break it down. We do a little bit of a hybrid of episode by episode, um, while simultaneously kind of covering character arcs. So I kind of put the ball in your court. Do you want to bring up a particular episode first or a particular character or a particular through line that that stood out to you in in these episodes i think the one that i want to start with is probably for lack of a better word like the most boring of the set and that is the first episode uh they do have a good habit of like when Hmm. there's like a really strong episode they have one that's just it feels a little fillery and i feel like this first episode Hmm. of vandal savage kind of did that where it was just kind of like off to the side of what we're doing and of course it might be relevant later it might not like i said i've only seen uh this set like once or twice so it is kind of like refreshing my memory as we go um but the first episode was it was you know cool seeing vandal savage's backstory kind of how tight his relationship with dark side is um after seeing Mm -hmm. the suicide squad i'd know who starro is now so when that popped up i was like oh my there's like a whole like level of excitement to this because I actually know like who this is and the importance of that character. Uh, so that was kind and of like a fun a moment kaiju. for me, and uh, we get to we get introduced to Vandal Savage's daughters. Um, one being mm-hmm. recurring in a later episode, you know, having ties with League of Shadows and whatnot. So it's it's interesting interesting to see where right. this goes. But I feel like in this set of episodes that we're reviewing, this had like the least impact on these few episodes uh so yeah what were your thoughts okay no i I can agree with what you're saying in terms of it being kind of a quote-unquote filler episode and feeling a little bit more disconnected from the rest of the proceedings the one exception to that i will say is the appearance of dark side i mean we with this whole season uh we talk about like the opening sequence it's got that whole um the earth kind of turning into apocalypse so i feel like this was 
the first time we really got some idea of what Darkseid's uh, and even Vandal Savage's kind of end goal is um, in terms of this season. But I, I actually really, really liked uh, this episode quite a bit for all the things that you brought up, just getting that backstory for Vandal Savage. Uh, the, it was the first time we got the Victor Stone uh, name drop. I did love that there was a nice little uh, meta commentary when the new team was kind of sitting by the fire and they brought up the Batman versus Superman discussion. Mm-hmm. And then one of my biggest takeaways was the fact that uh, Vandal Savage has, you know, portrayed so many different characters throughout history, including Genghis Khan. But we learned when he was Marduk in Babylonia that he had a daughter called Ishtar as well as a son, Nebu. And that that was Dr. Fate. Like, that was a huge revelation to me. Yeah. Because I have we seen them interact directly in the series? I don't, I don't think so. Because I feel like at some point Nomo would be like, "Oh, what's up, Dad?" Yeah, because I'm trying. I might be mistaken, but the only time I can really think that um, Doctor Fate was like actively in the proceedings was when either he was fighting Clarion, in which Vandal Savage wasn't present, or it was the Injustice Society. And I don't think Vandal Savage was present for that either. He's always kind of been more behind the scenes. He had his, you know, his little scrap with Kid Flash. But that's that's kind of the thing in this episode. He and Lex Luthor kind of discuss where their various players and assets are. And he's like, okay, there's no other opportunity. I'll step up and do what needs to be done um, like I have so many times throughout history. And I, I think it's pretty interesting. The, like, description for this episode describes him as Earth's greatest hero, and even Cassandra, who, um, if if I'm not mistaken, I believe Cassandra is supposed to be Ishtar, right? I thought Ishtar was, like, one of his first daughters, and he's had, like, multiple daughters since then. Like, he's immortal, but it, his it could daughters, be. It's like, not f- die off throughout time. Well, yeah, I wondered, because, yeah, they talk about how he's kind of, like, the first metahuman. They talk about how humans, Homo sapiens, had an evolutionary advantage over the Neanderthals, and then the metahumans were kind of the next evolution of that. And Vandal Savage was the first, and he had his sons as Genghis Khan that impressed uh, Darkseid in the first place. So I wondered if Cassandra was potentially uh, Ishtar, and that was maybe one of her like metagene abilities, is that she had some level of immortality or maybe just prolonged life i don't know because we find out that he's like at least fifty thousand years old well what leads me to believe that is the fact that he kind of offs one of his daughters at the end of the episode so that was cassandra's older sister so i feel like he just you know has mates and still has been like reproducing and like raising kids but they naturally die off yeah, yeah. I don't I don't know if it's said for certain that she's the older sister. Obviously, she looks physically older and she is of a different ethnicity, so I think you're right. He's uh, he's sired like a, a lot of different children from different wives and whatnot, but I I kind of wondered about the nature of that relationship. It was played at the beginning that Olympia was supposed to be like the older sister instructing her and have you heard the story of the bear, but throughout the episode you learn more and more that she's obviously not all there mentally she keeps up she keeps on bringing up the story of the bear but not only that when she's like looking at the tablet and observing the armada she kind of like spaces out and cassandra has to step in so uh, i really wasn't expecting vandal to do what he did but it is interesting to see like the admiration that his daughters still both of his daughters still have for him and 
Cassandra justifies that it was a, a mercy kill, and it kind of seems like it, it was. I mean, it's still murder, but... Yeah, because at the end, he says, like, he says, like, take care of your sister, and then, like, any daughter of Vandal Savage deserves the funeral of a god, so I, I think they made it pretty clear that they were all kind of his kids throughout time. Yeah, yeah. I suppose that's that's fair. The other thing that I, I guess is worth bringing up is that the new team, we've got Forager, we've got Brion, Prince, uh, uh, the Markovian Prince Brion, and then Halo, a.k.a. Violet. They all get the opportunity to get their own super suits as well as pick their superhero monikers, which I thought provided some uh, pretty pretty funny scenes. You know, Brion's first suggestion for his name is Hot Lava. So stupid. I love how quick Artemis started laughing at that. <laughs> and she says it sounds like a stripper name, and then that gives <laughs> Dick the great opportunity to be like, that's that's real good coming from Tigress. <laughs> <laughs> I love when they show their humanity a little bit and their just relationship between each other. Oh, yeah, that's honestly one of the best part of the shows is the the friendships and the relationships that that form um and no exception here i mean we'll we'll talk about in later episodes but there are some budding romances uh actually i guess in this episode in particular we really get the first uh major swings for jefferson and and helga uh dr jace's relationship it was a little cheesy for me the whole shushing each other in the hallway but i thought it was kind of funny the way they they make the allusions to it it's it's obviously the show's gotten a little bit more more mature as it's gotten towards season three and it's been on uh, dc universe as opposed to like cartoon network but uh so they have when she pulls him into the uh hotel room but then in a later episode someone talks about how uh, Helga should thank Jefferson and, and he goes oh she already has and then they yeah. both look kind of embarrassed and then there's like an eagle that screams in the background I'm just like what is this <laughs> <laughs> I mean at least they were quick anyway, about stuff like anyway. that but this uh, this is the first like they, they made it very clear that they had like a no rating on this season so I think this is kind of like a way to lead in to like how sure. dark and how like how the humor can be because uh, we also had like um live wire she had like her sexual window windows for everything but also in regards to like how mm-hmm. graphic things got because after that episode we had the whole thing with lobo and that was pretty graphic we had the whole cyborg thing that was pretty graphic so i think this was kind of like oh, a no way doubt. for them to have opportunities to be like hey this is kind of like a taste that j- just a heads up things are about to get dark like we're crossing lines that cartoon network wouldn't let us do then yeah, that's that's all fair. And and speaking of crossing lines, the one other thing I had to bring up about this episode is uh, Forger fights dirty. He'll cross that line, so watch out. Tag you're it. <laughs> I, I, speaking of okay. like them, them getting their suits and all that, like when <laughs> when they all got dressed up and she was like Forger is always naked, and like Halo just wouldn't look at him. <laughs> <laughs> and later on like when he loses the show it's like oh now i understand being naked and again yeah. i was like oh now i'm not supposed to look at you <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's pretty funny stuff but anyway anything else you want to mention on uh episode seven which i suppose we should bring up was titled evolution mm. not only do we see the evolution of the team but we also get the 
evolution of Vandal Savage and the metahumans. So, oh, she title. added another color. Her green aura makes holograms now. Oh yeah, excellent point. Yeah, she just continued up her arsenal, and yeah, that's a excellent point. She showcases the holograms, and then Dick mentions that they have to basically start from scratch in terms of their training. I do like so. both of their suits too. Violet's is exceptionally awesome because like it still has like the stealth option. It's just the the gray and black, but like just the little accents of color throughout. It's just it's really well done. That's a great design choice. I'm a quite a fan of hers as well. I like the little color accents that uh, speak to her various powers. It does remind me a little bit of Spider Gwen's. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but oh, I see it's kind of evocative of that. Yeah. And then on the other side of thing, uh, Brion, instead of hot lava, he decides to settle on Geoforce. And I will say I am a fan of the color green, so it appeals to me anyway. But uh, with the whole like head sock kind of gauntlet, um, whatever you call that thing, I there's a term for it, but it's eluding me right now. Uh, it reminds me quite a bit of Firebrand, or not Firebrand, Firestorm, if you're familiar with that character. From the CW shows, yeah. Yeah, I, I figured I figured with you having watched the CW shows, you'd be at least a little familiar with him. And uh, Sam Wilson's Captain America. Yeah, yeah, he's got it too. Headsock. I can't get over that term now. <laughs> <laughs> I think that actually might be what it's referred to as. Uh, huh. But there, there are other terminologies for it as well. well. One thing that made me uncomfortable about this episode is like right after the head snapping scene, they rolled to the credits and I was like, this episode it was dedicated to the memory of Miguel Ferrer? 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 Um, Ferrer, yeah. Yeah, who passed away of throat cancer, but it was just a weird thing to have, like, after somebody's neck got snapped. Just made me a little uncomfortable. Well, I, I can see where you're coming from, but he does... Vandal Savage has the line, like, give her a funeral, like, fitting of the gods. So I kind of saw why they might have seen it as a, a really appropriate, like, nod, because Miguel Ferrer did the voice of Darkseid... Uh, no, no, not Dark Side. Excuse me, Vandal Savage, in Vandal Savage's previous uh, appearances, and then just for those MCU fans that are listening, Marvel Cinematic Universe fans that are listening, uh, Miguel Ferrer did appear as the president, or the vice president, excuse me, in Iron Man Three, who ended up being. Well, I, I, no oh, that's there. who that no, is. No need to go into spoilers. Yeah, yeah, that's Miguel Ferrer. Oh. So yeah. Yeah, and then he was on either Law and Order or one of the NCISs or CSIs. Forgive me for not knowing, but yeah, he's a pretty celebrated actor. So, R.I.P. Yeah, just uh, so I guess just to wrap up this episode, I think this is the last time that um, the whole team kind of like worked nicely together, because as we go mm -hmm. into the other ones, there's a lot of conflicts between Brion's lack of patience. Patience is a is a major theme, yeah, especially for Brion. And there's there's certainly some friction, some tectonic plates, some volcanic personalities. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll stop. But um, with that last episode, episode seven, I, I mentioned um, the appropriateness of the title evolution, but I really appreciate the title for episode eight, Triptych, because I don't know what your affinity for the world of art or art history is but do you i guess you probably know given your photography nature you probably are pretty familiar with what a triptych is no yeah we've had to do assignments where it's like 
we had to present a diptych and a triptych, so we had to like come. Okay. We had to present like a set of photos that were all like relative to each other. Right, right, right. So, yeah, yeah, and I, I figured as much. And given my, um, you know, exposure to the art world, and I'm a big fan of art history, took a number of classes. Um, triptychs are when you have a series of either three images or three paintings that are connected by a theme or tell a story, but not necessarily in the order that you expect. So. Um, this episode was very appropriately titled. We have the three seemingly connected but unconnected and told out of order story that essentially is revealed to be the origin of Shade, who I I loved everything about Shade. I love the character design. I love the power set. Just really creepy and uh, unique from anything we've seen on the show thus far. Yeah, it was a really cool design, especially towards the end when he comes in with his top hat and everything. I was like, ooh, Dapper Shade. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Kind of like Jack the Ripper Victorian era vibes. But uh, speaking of those three various stories that we got, it's also kind of echoes the fact that we've got three various teams in the works. We've got what Jefferson likes to call Batman Incorporated, which I like. My favorite. And then, uh, yeah, yeah. And then there's the Justice League forthright with Diana and Kaldor at the helm. And then there's Nightwing's team. And then they all bring various reports to each other in which they reveal the larger plots that kind of um, speaks to Shade's origins that I alluded to. But those stories are, we do, the first one we get is Shade, Livewire, who is an electricity-based villain that you, you, you mentioned earlier. And then, is it Mist? Yeah, yeah. Missed. They attack Star Labs uh, to steal a device and are assisted by Cheshire. It's the first time we've seen Cheshire in a while. Always nice to see her. She's a favorite. And then we get the team's scuffle with the villains on the runway in which Tigris gets the Santa Prisca intel, excuse me, from Jade. And then there's Tim Drake's report to Batman on the Clayface and Mad Hatter ongoings which was really great stuff i love uh tim drake's little little team that he assembled of uh young lady avengers who was it It was uh arouette orphan and spoiler i'm missing one spoiler spoiler yeah um, i'm only familiar with arouette i did not know who spoiler or orphan was but orphan in particular definitely had me interested especially with her whole Deciding to attack first and ask questions later, she kind of. <laughs> She's such I a wondered, savage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Arrowette's like, did you know that was Clayface, or did you just not care? <laughs> she seems to be like one of those like sworn to silence type characters, which honestly is probably why Batman recruiters like, oh, you're not answering me at all. Yeah, you're hired. You're good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, possibly, possibly. And the only th- thing we really. I don't, I'm not sure if she gets any spoken dialogue at all, but I noticed towards the end of the fight, like part of her mask had kind of been ripped up. So you, you do get the reveal that she's got um, some blonde hair and I think maybe a blue eye, but not 100% sure. But I'm hopeful that we'll get to learn more about Spoiler and Orphan. Yeah, they, they're able to hold their own ground pretty well. It's it's interesting how much Green Arrow's involvement has been with Batman Inc. too, because it was oh, kind true. of like... You know, they had their, their spat at the beginning of between him and Canary. 
So yeah. you were wondering like how much the involvement was going to be, but the fact that he still has like recruits working with Batman and stuff shows that um, he was pretty adamant about not liking how the Justice League was operating, but was still comfortable working with Bruce Wayne despite how questionable his uh, actions are. Yeah, yeah, that's a, a good point, and it, it is interesting that uh, Green Arrow is like so absent from the proceedings and. Black Canary as well, but I mean, obviously, this is Young Justice, so the show kind of has a tradition of introdu- introducing us to new characters. But Black Canary had always kind of been the one that acted as the quote-unquote guidance guidance counselor to the team. But I guess it's we've gotten to the point that some of the earliest members, like I'm thinking of, like McGann, she's almost like kind of stepped into that role where she is serving the role that Black Canary once once served and a lot of them are working with the league now too so i feel like characters like static shock wonder girl um people of that nature who still are in the watchtower probably rely on canary but like all the people that are on the ground are kind of doing their own thing is where megan kicks in yeah true you're invited to explore cypress swamps and magical gardens and float along the rushing waters of an old-fashioned swimming hole plan your journey at visitmississippi.org slash outdoor adventure. Mississippi, wanderers welcome. True. I'm glad that you brought up Static Shock because Jefferson, when he has his pillow talk with Helga, he's kind of got that whole questioning himself. And he, I'm glad that he had like the fact that he brought up the fact that he left Virgil in the wind. I really hope that that comes full circle. I'm really loving everything with Black Lightning. It's He's a character... I watched a fair amount of the CW stuff, but I never made it to the Black Lightning series. I'd kind of fallen off at that point. But I, I really love the complexity of his character, and I know that he's a father, so it's interesting to see him have this interplay with these younger characters. But uh, it just doesn't sit right with me that uh, Virgil was you know, his protege, and he left him out in the wind. And it, um, Not to get too ahead of things, but it kind of seems like there's... Uh, potential for cyborg to kind of be taken under his wing as well well i watched the the first season of black lightning which kind of gave me enough about the character to know that him and his wife had issues like divorce issues and stuff like that because he was you know hurt getting hurt being a superhero too much um Mm -hmm. he has two daughters and both of those daughters like end up being metahumans as well but like his involvement is like limited um, so this is one of those things where it's kind of like you couldn't have the balance between the hero life and the personal life. So we're seeing that that character trait from the show and what I imagine is from the comics. I wouldn't know because I don't read them. Uh, kind of come mm-hmm. into this too. So th- there's a good balance between like what they show in the CW series that kind of give you an idea of like what the character is about when you see them in this show. Okay. He's kind of world weary. He's he's done his time so he's kind of wondering whether it's his time to be out of the game or if he should be uh you know instructing the next generation or maybe maybe steering them away from a similar lifestyle yeah Yeah, i think that's all um good and gripping stuff to bite onto so i'm really appreciating his inclusion in the proceedings but with him it's just like really funny because like the meme has been going around for years about like the dialogue between I can absorb lightning. Yeah, but you never had black lightning. 
<laughs> like, oh my god, who wrote that line? But then when I was watching this episode, like, I forgot that uh, Livewire was just, like, making all these sexual innuendos, like, throughout it anyways. <laughs> so it was kind of fitting, but at the same time, it's just kind of like, wow, what a line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have never seen, like, Young Justice content be popular on Facebook as much as I've seen that scene, <laughs> that dialogue. That's funny. That's hilarious. <laughs> On that note, though, I do appreciate the fact that uh, Caldor mentions that Mist and Livewire, they're not hardened criminals. Uh, there's hope that they can be rehabilitated, so they're yeah, not. Like they're uh, minors. There's a chance. They were under, like, mind control. Nanotech mind control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then uh, I did mention we've got the first appearance of Jade in a while, and it feels like anytime Jade shows up, not too long afterwards, you're going to have the appearance of everybody's favorite bad sportsmaster. Yeah. He still yeah. got it. Yeah. So that's actually the, like the third story in this triptych that we got. Yeah. His, his prison transport jailbreak in which he frees brick. Brick is kind of always this character that's popped up through the seasons. And I love how they just kind of fully played into the fact that he's just there kind of to serve as cannon fodder and just get captured again. Yeah. You're just like, I have the worst luck. And it's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Aquaman tells me, you have no idea how lucky you actually are. And we learn later on, he's actually, he is actually pretty lucky because the only reason they've been breaking these metahumans out is to put them under control through the use of nanobots. And that's kind of when the three teams converge together and reveal all the various findings, we find out that, Branchwater, this organization that uh, is facilitated by Simon Stagg and Stagg Industries, they've been exploiting and trafficking uh, metahumans. So, Billy Batson and Barry Allen really are the biggest set of children in the Justice League. Because, oh, true. I feel like both of them could have handled it alone if they were in such dimwits. <laughs> Yeah, the fact that they got taken out by Sportsmaster. <laughs> oh, you just got a, a hockey, hockey puck? puck? Like, oh my god. Seriously? Why would you not handcuff him first and then start opening your mouth? Like, why do you have to talk so much? Yep, yep. Which goes to show, like, anybody without superpowers is very capable in this universe, and nobody truly is, like, too overpowered, which is one of the things I really appreciate about the show. But <laughs> just for them to be taken down that easily was hilarious. Yeah, it was it was pretty funny, and I'll be honest, I had no idea that it was Barry Allen and uh, Billy Batson at first, because they're just like they seem like two regular guys that are talking about liking the job and just being okay with the job, but then that you have that moment where they see the trouble up ahead, and then the blonde guy gets that glint in his eyes. He's like, "Oh, I love this job." And yeah, we've only seen Billy the... as Shazam, so it's like, he's what, 18, 19 years old now, maybe? Yeah, he's on the older side, yeah, relatively, compared to when we first saw him. Interesting. Yeah. That was just weird to think about, like, you keep thinking he's like this 10-year-old or 12-year-old or whatever. Mm. Yeah, but that's, I mean, that's part of the great thing about this show is the continuity, It's it's all there, so not only... Has Billy grown up, but a character that we'll definitely be highlighting later on, Beast Boy, we've seen him since he was like, what, like eight, nine, ten years old? He's become a young man. I thought he was an early teenager last season. 
Oh yeah, yeah last season he was. But I'm talking him. about back- yeah, 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 yeah. When we first saw him, yeah, that's what I meant. You're right. Um, yeah, but I, I think what else is worth mentioning in this episode is that first um, initial attack on Star Labs. We did get the first appearance of Silas Stone there, and then at the end of the episode, we get the revelation that the device that was stolen was a metahuman failsafe that was actually Reach technology that was um, salvaged. So. And if I'm not mistaken, again, not to get too far ahead of things, but we've already kind of talked about Victor Stone and Cyborg. We do get his his origin and his um, kind of inclusion on the team towards the end of things here. I think w- when Silas is trying to save him and has already used the mother box, they put him inside that metahuman failsafe is what ultimately ends up saving him, no? I understood it as the father box kind of made a metamorphosis. Oh, the father thing. box, you're right. Yeah. I, I didn't okay. think they actually put him in something. Because when they first showed it, I was like, oh, that's probably what Cyborg got put in. But then, like, the father box was, like, digging into the ground and getting, like, resources and power and stuff. So I think they just made the cocoon. Oh, you could be right. Because I do remember seeing, like, the red tubing start to, like, um, wrap around him and stuff like that. So maybe it just kind of, like, terraformed whatever concrete yeah. and materials were around him. Yeah, you could be right in that regard. Okay. Yeah, that's that, that's one of the things that I was makes like really sense. paying attention to because I was like, is that what they... Oh, no, I guess not. Yeah, because we, we talked about it so much on the show. There's no little detail that's left, you know, un, unturned. So I was definitely paying pretty close attention. To that. Well, I say I was paying pretty close attention to it, but I still have that question. Yeah. Um, but I, I wondered if that was something that was going to come back into play. Is, like, Cyborg going to be the, like ultimate anti-metahuman weapon but i suppose it's still possible while we're just talking about cyborg it was really weird getting cyborg like three cyborgs within the same year because we had oh right justice league cyborg young justice cyborg Uh and doom patrol cyborg all feature at the same time oh nice a lot of comparisons going on well depending on what year that was i think you might have also had uh injustice Injustice 2 Young, uh, excuse me, Injustice 2 Cyborg. So there might have been four. Oh, that's all you. <laughs> I think one of the animated movies really... had him too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, lo- oh, that was the year of Cyborg. Exactly, yeah. Don't tell Ray Fisher. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I stand with Ray Fisher um, for the most part. Anyway, The only other thing I wanted to mention for my notes for this episode was... We didn't get to spend a ton of time with Forger and Halo and the new team and whatnot, but there was that nice little exchange when, you know, people are revealing certain pieces of information and it's like, oh, that's great. Oh, well, not so great. And then they reveal some additional information and then then Forger is like, I can't remember what gets said. Oh, no, no, it's the intel is coming from Jade and... They say that the intel is from Jade, and then Halo says, oh, that's great. And they're like, oh, not so great. It might be difficult to get the information from her. And then Forager goes, oh, that's excellent. And everyone just kind of looks at him, and he's like, not so excellent? And they're like, no. He's like, Forager is good at this game. <laughs> so uh, yeah, he's, he's stupid, but I, I appreciate stupid little things like that sometimes. <laughs> Anything else you want to bring up about Triptych? Uh, last thing for me is just I love some good dialogue and Wonder Woman like getting so frustrated and like having that moral dilemma of like why aren't we just doing this together 
that whole dialogue yeah. and conversation. I mean, you know how much I love Batman in the series, but the way that he was pitching his point and Diana just kept like coming back at him is just man that the whole the whole scene was good. I'm sure I'm sure Andrew really appreciated that too because we talked a lot about like dialogue and scenes lately. Oh, cool. Yeah, no, it's always worth bringing that up. And I did think it was a, a interesting way to to end the episode. Just you know, obviously Wonder Woman is a symbol of truth with the the lasso of truth and whatnot. And she questions Batman. There, you expect Superman to lie under oath. He says he does. Does he expect her to lie under oath? No, he expects her to use her diplomatic uh, position to avoid taking the stand at all. And then she leaves that question lingering to everyone else. Like, what about the rest of you? Are the rest of you willing to lie? And nobody answers, but that's the last line of the episode. It was definitely a poignant way to end the episode. Like, what sacrifices are these heroes willing to make? And time and time again, Batman has always been one of those ones that compartmentalizes information for better or for worse. So. And it was the younger ones whose facial expressions dropped to you. See, Tim Drake kind of looked down. Dick and Barbara both kind of looked down. Aqualide was, or True. Aquaman, excuse me, was just kind of looking mm-hmm. off, just kind of like, I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> yeah. I've already done this once before. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, move on to episode nine, titled Home Fires. With the first two, obviously the titles were like super appropriate. I I don't know if I can say the same about this one. It works, but I don't know if there's anything quite as deep. Yeah, I must be really hungry right now because I'm like looking at the episode list and I kept reading Home Fries until you said fires. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, just stick around for episode 10, because that's curly fries, all right? Yeah, I need uh, exceptional curly fries. I need brunch. I need brunch We'll get you some hash browns. Stay strong. Stay strong. I'm just going to head to Village Inn after this. Okay, cool, cool. Uh, But home fires. uh, We get the return of Lobo. Good old Lobo. Everyone's favorite intergalactic bounty hunter that speaks interlac. And I guess he was conscripted by the light. We get the reveal at the end of the episode. I think it's Queen Bee gives us the uh, information that, you know, Forager's, his uh, faked death is really of no consequence. They just wanted the confirmation that Superboy and who else participated in the Markovian? Oh, uh, Black Lightning participated in the Markovian proceedings, and then they get confirmation of the existence of Nightwing's team. Yeah, I had the list up of the the new light, if you want the names. Yeah, yeah, because it's seven members. Vandal Savage makes mention of the fact that seven is an elegant number. Yeah, so who do we got? You got Savage, Luthor, Queen Bee, Clarion, and the newest members are Deathstroke, Ultra Humanite, and Granny Goodness, who I imagine is a liaison between Darkseid and the Light. Yeah, I would have to imagine. I know she's one of his lieutenants alongside Desaad. We've seen Desaad, but I think this is the first time we've seen Granny Goodness, and actually the first time we see her is in a television uh, interview with Gordon Godfrey, and as soon as you see how much larger she is, it's kind of like a side-by-side shot, like the classic interview shot where you get to see the interviewer and the interviewee kind of looking at each other in their chairs, and I was like, wow, that's a 
large older woman. That has got to be Granny Goodness. Yeah. And then sure enough, they don't make us wait around. She is Granny Goodness, a.k.a. Gretchen Goodness, progenitor of the good goggles. Who's Buffer, her or Captain Carter? <laughs> uh, I think I'd give the edge to, well, actually in terms of like overall power set, it's it's probably Granny Goodness at the end of the day. Uh, I was going off physique, but of oh, physique. Well, yeah. obviously, Captain Captain Carter. The <laughs> shoulders, the shoulders. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I had no idea who Granny Goodness was until I started watching this show. So when okay. she started getting, you know, popped up in the Snyder Cut and stuff like that, I was like, oh, I didn't realize it was that big of a deal because you see a grandma, you don't expect her to be like the Lieutenant of Darkseid. Uh, so that was one of those things that was like. I didn't realize that she was even a villain. I was like, oh, who's this granny person that's, like, producing um, Beast Boy's show? And now I know. Yeah, yeah. This this season has uh, borrowed a lot from Kirby's Fourth World. And you just get some really wacky and, and wonderful characters. And even just, like, you can tell by the names. Like, Granny Goodness, a character named Granny Goodness and Mr. Miracle, Big Barda. Call um, me Gretchen. Yeah, yeah. If you don't start calling me Gretchen, I'm gonna cry. I don't. I don't believe her. Don't believe her at all. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, uh, I guess one of the reasons it it might be called Home Fires is because we do get Iris West is at her home hosting a like reunion of sorts and. I did just think it seemed incredibly unwise to have all these various heroes and their loved ones and children's, excuse me, children all gather in one location. Like, I get everybody wants to spend time together, but you would think you would have, like, at least some kind of sentry or lookout in place. I mean, it comes back to the humanity of it. Like... They can't always be heroes. Like they kind of need this, this, this moment to not only hang out but to kind of like let loose a little bit. And you have people like Will Harper and Mira, and like there were heroes there. Like I think Rocket was one of True. them too. Um, so True. it's not like, and like who wants to mess with you know, like a mom's kid, right? Like there's a whole I feel like added level of protection at that point. Well, who wants to mess with him? I'll tell you who wants to mess with him. Orm, Ocean Master. We don't know it throughout the episode until the end. But yeah, he's there stalking them, counting down as the various members appear. And you you brought up the fact that Rocket's there. <laughs> when Rocket welcomes Karen, and Karen's pregnant, and the um, young child that Rocket has in her arms, I guess his name is Amistad... <laughs> I, I've watched the episode twice, and both times I laugh out loud when the kid goes, there's a baby in there. <laughs> that threw me off. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> it's just, it's such a funny and odd line of dialogue, and it sounds so strange coming from such a small character. But Yeah, that one threw me off, but my favorite was definitely, uh, stop calling him dad. Stop calling me grandma. <laughs> Oh, yeah, with Bart. Yeah, he's like, oh, spoilers. See, there's another hero that was there. <laughs> True. Yeah, yeah, Bart was there. That's, yeah, that's a great point. Great point. But it's not even the, the heroes that end up taking care of Orm. I'll just go ahead and kind of get to the end of the episode. We have Lady Shiva 
who is the new enforcer for the light, she just takes Orm out. She just straight up beheads him. And it's not over the top um, graphic with like the blood and whatnot, but you clearly see that his head is cleaved from his shoulders. Yeah. So. And pretty it, intense. It, we're, we've had like a lot of questions of like what happened to Arthur Curry in this time jump. Like why is true Calder Aquaman and like my my guess at this point is that there was an attempted coup and hmm. he got like like Orm eventually lost, but Arthur Curry yeah. at that point felt like it was a priority to be king of Atlantis and not Aquaman. Because we've seen Orm before and he see like he was the whole like oh my king type vibe. So I'm True. wondering if kind of like Atlantis got Atlantis was basically in trouble because there was probably a coup or something like that. And he was just kind of like, dude, you got to be Aquaman because I can't be king of Atlantis. Like, he's probably just, like, leveling his priorities or something. Yeah, that's probably a good guess there. We did, obviously, Kaldor has stepped up into the role of, of Aquaman, so we did have that lingering question. Uh, I, you know, based on the movie, um, focusing a lot on, like, the various kingdoms, I, I would I would say that your theory there is is probably pretty accurate um aquaman or arthur curry i should say uh, probably needs to unite the various kingdoms and can't do that to the best of his ability while serving as aquaman um, i do I, I like that that speculation there uh, but it was nice to get some time with mara I, I think this is the first time since season one where we really just got to see her um instructing young students in Atlantis in the ways of like water magic or uh, yeah. hydrokinesis, I believe it's called. But then she did have a young uh, blonde haired baby with her that was named Arter. So I'm, you know, somewhat familiar with the comics and stuff like that. But if the character of Arter is a recent um, addition, I, I don't know if that's Arthur's son. It, it sounds pretty close. So I would imagine with the blonde hair and everything, it probably is the case, but I don't know if that's a character you know anything about. Uh well I'm I I typed in specifically Justice League Playdate and I'm kind of looking at a little breakdown of that scene. Mm-hmm. And what it says about that is like the first to arrive is the Queen of Atlantis herself Mira with young Arthur Curry. Oh whoa. So I'm wondering if like Aquaman's name isn't Arthur Curry. I don't know if there's other names that he's gone by in the comics or whatnot and or maybe like they just maybe he's like Arthur the second. Huh. Uh, so I don't know. Yeah. Well, that's uh. If anybody out there that's listening does know, send us send us your feedback and and let us know. Otherwise, uh, I know you've seen season three at least once or twice, but uh, aren't super fresh on the details. So I'll be uh, curious just to see if that's a character that pops up. If even if not in season three, potentially season four, depending on what kind of time jump we get there. Maybe. So. Yeah. But yeah, I love that whole scene with the kids. Yeah, yeah, it was it was super cute seeing them zip around. Now we do have on the other side of things our new team. Um, they're still doing some training. So in my notes, I, I said Geoforce gets an F. But while Geoforce gets an F, Red Tornado got his android body. He finally got his android body. Because I'm thinking back on, I think it was season one 
where he was trying to, you know, transfer his consciousness into into a, a humanoid body, but uh, it didn't work out. So they had to like kind of cart it around, and it, it took. Oh no, no, he he did somewhat. He started the transfer, but he still ended up taking a lot of damage, and it was uh, played to kind of comedic effects. But he's finally got his fully functioning and somewhat presentable human body. Yeah, it took me a minute to realize who it was because I was like, John, why is Martian Manhunter? I thought the same exact thing. I thought the same exact thing until he emitted the two torn, two red tornadoes from his his hands. Yeah, yeah. yeah I the fight with uh, Lobo was pretty great. I made a note of the sound design when Lobo impales. Halo when she's like airborne and trying to fly away with Forager. That was graphic. It wasn't so much like, yeah, it was graphic. And even with like the visual depiction, you saw like, you know, some of her innards and whatnot. It wasn't, you didn't like see specific organs or anything like that. But what really did stick out to me more is the sound design. Like when that hooked blade is like lodged in her and he puts his boot on her back and kind of dislodges her. Ugh, it was really kind of sickening the, the sound design there. Yeah. Kind of graphic. Yeah, that was a lot. Like, I I audibly went, ugh, as, as that happened as well. Yeah, yeah. Halo's just kind of a, a punching bag. I guess that's with a character with that kind of power set. We've already seen her be maimed, killed, now impaled. I'm kind of worried what they're going to do to her the rest of the season here. Yeah, it's not, that was not fun to watch. <laughs> yeah. But she did get to get a little bit of revenge. She cut Lobo's pinky off. Yeah. Which was great when he tried to go for the whistle. He could no longer do that. that and then it funny. sets up the great recurring... Yeah, 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 exactly. The great recurring gag of the pinky in the credits. I got a real kick out of that. <laughs> I love that it's growing, too. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if we're going to get like a little mini Lobo running around too, before too long. Well, maybe. Lobo might. Yakeezy Fem. I'll leave the wittiness to you. Uh, don't give me too much credit here. I'm just trying to think of some of the other... Um, eh, credit's a stretch. Like, <laughs> <laughs> when he did think that he successfully killed uh, Forager, he's like, you bastages did better than most. So, that was a cringy like sound little... too, and he was like crushing into him. Oh yeah, but I will say I didn't buy it for a second though. There was not a moment where I thought Forager was actually gone. I think they did a good job of um, showcasing like when his fist made impact on the shell. It it really did seem very hollow. So I kind of like the fact that Lobo is just so confident in his ability that he's that easily duped. <laughs> yeah. Well, job's done. I'm out. Yep, yep. And then you already kind of brought up the fact that Forager had his reference to being naked before, but now he's truly naked. And then uh, they call him Guji, which I've heard of Gooey, but I've never heard of Guji, so I thought it was kind of funny and cute that Halo came up with, like, oh, you are too Guji. And then Brion's like, I don't care, I'm going to hug you anyway. And he's like, oh, you are uh, quite Guji indeed. <laughs> What a sound. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then it's like in later episodes, it's kind of interesting to like have the visual continuity there. He doesn't just instantly have his exoskeleton back. You kind of get to see it 
harden and, and grow um, through the next couple of episodes. Yeah, it was a good design choice. Yeah. And I mean, another thing that's like, they're really thoughtful on like how they've been displaying these characters. And one of the things that I've been catching on to a lot is whenever they're on, on McGann, they really focus on her engagement ring. Like even on the zoom hmm. out shot, like you can see that it's there. So it's, it's really cool that they're like very conscious about like adding those small things, despite the designs being very simple. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's true. You know, um, as the show's been the show animation deliberations been going on, we've we've covered more and more shows and, and different animation styles, and Young Justice um, certainly is a more, as you put, like simplified animation compared to some other ones. But it just it works because it we talk about like continuity, not just in world building, but with these characters, especially after like three seasons and like the designs have been updated. They're a little bit sharper in some ways. And, um, you know, faces are a little more angular in in certain places and whatnot. And there's a little bit more fidelity and whatnot, but there's still just that continuity across the board. When you, uh, the action works, the environments work, the characters all work. It's It's really working off of like, the best things about Teen Titans. Yeah, Teen I can agree Titans. with that. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's actually kind of that that Warner Warner Brothers animation studio. It's kind of their that, that style that they use for all of those DC animated films. Keep it up. It's not I quite. Love it. Yeah, it's a great style. It, I won't call it like full on anime, but it's kind of like anime inspired it seems like there was like a generation of like western artists that were very much influenced by anime but have kind of like meshed the anime with the comic book style and like we said it is it is fairly simplistic there's not a ton of shading going on but there's um enough detail like there like like you bring up with the just the character models and the expressions and then the background details i like we we covered uh, the show Invincible, and there are no spoilers for Invincible. But even with a show, um, I feel like it's animated in a similar style. I think mm-hmm. the action was a little more over the top in Invincible. Obviously, it's more graphic. But we even talked about like um, we picked up on some things like in the background, <laughs> some just like weird visual like flubs here and there. But there's there's never been anything like that in Young Justice, so, yeah. which really speaks to the quality control there. Yeah, I know how much that annoyed you about the people like actually walking around. It's like, did you have to animate that? <laughs> well, I it doesn't annoy me. Annoy me. It's just you know, for your standard of annoyed. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Just just a gripe. Uh, anything else for episode nine? Nope. Let's go to Batman Inc. Woohoo! Episode ten: Exceptional Human Beings. Yeah, we get Batman, Katana. And Metamorpho, who I know nothing about. My only exposure to him is this episode. I really want to dive into that character. Uh, They infiltrate Santa Prisca. We got that intel about the League being run out of Santa Prisca now. Yeah, it's really interesting how many bendy characters there are. Like Mr. Fantastic, uh, Mm -hmm. Elongated Man, Mm -hmm. Plastic Man, Metamorpho. But his, the way he uses his powers was super cool, especially in a, it's, it's funny that he was so useful in a stealth operation, but Oracle had to say, like, keep your mouth shut. Like he's known for being a chatter, I guess. 
Yeah, yeah. It was an interesting choice. And I, I loved how atmospheric it was when we had like those scenes with no dialogue where they're just stalking the henchmen and you get the little bit of like rain falling and then the henchmen get their lines of like stupid dialogue just yeah. um, you know, proving that they're gonna be cannon fodder. But it was kind of a great build up. You you got that tease and just from like a visual design I will say, uh we've talked a little bit about my hero academia, so um no spoilers for that either but there's a character a villain character in my hero academia twice mm. who even in my viewing we haven't got like a ton of backstory there was one episode that dove a little bit into his backstory but just as soon as i saw metamorpho and the fact that they like made reference to the fact that he might be kind of like a quippy um talking at inappropriate times kind of character i was like hmm i'm getting twice vibes have you watched about the, you. the whole newest season uh, no, I'm only caught up with season four. Oh, okay. There, there was one episode in season five that was like focused just on him, but we'll cover that oh, in okay. another episode. Indeed, indeed. In addition to you know this stealth operation with Batman Incorporated, we get the basically the setup for Victor Stone's origin. We we talked about that. We get Cyborg later on, but this is kind of like. Young Justice is doing the due diligence to that that story. If you're familiar with the character of Cyborg, you know the story. He's uh, the son of Silas Stone. Silas Stone is very much a workaholic who ignores his son, even though his son is a very talented football player with some exciting prospects. Uh, and then we talked about how uh, 2017 was the year of Cyborg. <laughs> so the just talking about Ray Fisher a little bit, there was uh, some behind-the-scenes talk that he wasn't super jazzed about the line "booyah," and I maybe I'm I'm speaking from a, a a place of ignorance or anything like that. But just for me, like you know, having watched Teen Titans and stuff like that, I always associated "booyah" with Cyborg. So yeah. in this particular episode, I was excited for all the "booyahs" we got. You know. <laughs> With him, his football team, everybody's shouting booyah. <laughs> and then really quick, like we got to see Cisco in that for people who are fans of uh CW oh, yeah. Flash. I was like, Oh, Cisco yeah. Ramon, that's cool. It's kinda of right. pushing to a walker, right. sorry, but very different hairstyle. Very yeah. different. <laughs> yeah, and then those two jockey guys are having like their debate about Wonder Woman or Black Canary. Just that was some of that uh, humor that kind of made me roll my eyes and kind of made me reflect back on Kid Flash from season one, you know, yeah, hitting on McGann and whatnot. <laughs> hitting on anybody who could. True, true that. And then Cisco, much respect to him, he was like, oh, I would go for Zatanna. I was like, good man. And then you get knocked mm-hmm. I I'm disappointed in myself that I, I didn't write that down. Yeah, <laughs> just one more reason, yeah. You and Cisco would get along famously. Seems like it. I did make mention of the fact that we talked about uh, Cassandra Savage being introduced in um, the first episode we covered in this particular set of episodes. But when she's having her little breakdown with Deathstroke, Deathstroke mentions that Tara Markov washed out, but that Granny Goodness might still have use for her. Mm. So really interested to see where that's going and i'm sure brion if he was privy to that knowledge he would be even more interested well that is when he went i mean yes yeah, the next episode but just to cover it while we're at it like brion just goes off on nightwing 
like they have a little oh yeah uh scramble because he was mad that they missed out on the opportunity but it's like how like if Brian had to go against Lady Shiva he definitely would have been dead like that's that mm-hmm oh without a doubt yeah and I did like the fact that like Deathstroke gave Lady Shiva the choice he's like which one you want yeah I'll take Katana yeah yeah that was badass and the comment on her sword being more powerful too, and like that she just wanted it. Yep, yep. Because Katana's swore and like yeah. a note to silence too, right? Uh, I think she has. She didn't speak in this episode. I think that's a part of her character. I know with her sword, like the soul eater, it um, inhabits the soul of her deceased husband. Yeah. And anybody that is killed by the sword, their soul is absorbed by the sword. So I, I do believe you're right on the. Vow of silence, but don't quote me on that. I wonder if Katana uh, trained Orphan at all. Mm, that's a good question. Potential. I mean, obviously she has some working relationship with Batman, but I I, I loved everything about that fight. You know, yeah. it did start off as Katana versus uh, Lady Shiva and Deathstroke versus Metamorpho, but then they kind of switched roles before the end. But even with like the little bit of character development we got there with Lady Shiva and Katana. On the other side of things, we talked about how Metamorpho, like, we just got to see such a cool showcasing of his powers, but not really get to hear him speak. But then, uh, you know, not only is he just stretchy and whatnot, but he obviously, I think he can, like, change himself into, it seems like, different states of matter. Like, he turns into gas a couple of times, and that's when uh, Deathstroke uses a grenade on him, and then that's when he kind of, like, shrieks out in pain, and his appearance changes, and you get the the idea that he might not even be like a full-on human. I don't know what his deal is at all. I'm excited to learn more about him. Uh, But I kind of felt like I didn't know if this was a result of the damage that he took, that he looked different, or that he was just no longer to like hold up the the guys that he had before. But that, the latter is what I'm assuming. But he talks about Deathstroke's like hurts, doesn't it? He's like, yeah, sure it hurts. But it's almost kind of like his... Exactly. I was going to say it's almost his Hulk moment. He's like, I'm basically living in constant pain. I've just learned to adapt. And I was like, okay, I like this character even more now. Yeah, because he so. turned himself and Katana into trash bins. Uh, he oh, yeah. turned himself into mud and then had the little footprint where he like blocked his nose. And like, you know, like when you try to pop yeah, your yeah. ears, you like popped <laughs> his stomach, which is really funny. Um, yeah, yeah. And then like, uh, it was. It was really funny when they were about to like infiltrate where the helicopter was going into and Oracle was like, Oh, Batman's already in and I was like, Of course he is. Why wouldn't he be? Yeah. <laughs> um and then Batman's dialogue, he's such a dick. Uh when when Bane was like, Oh, nobody yes. gets into Santa Prisco without me knowing and he's like, except for Robin, Superboy, McGann, Kid Flash, Satana. <laughs> And they just start Colt. going at it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was hilarious. I love that. And then Bane mentioned the fact that he's no longer on Venom. I guess he saw it as a crutch and has become stronger than he ever has. And it, it does seem like he's got, um, you know, Batman dead to rights. It's only when Metamorpho distracts him. Yeah. That, that gives him an escape. So. Yeah, you know, I mean, I love the Batman scene. So everything about that episode was just really good. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I I definitely appreciated that one for um, not only just the inclusion of Batman so much, but just it really had some of the best action. I really can't overstate how much I appreciated some of those stealth sequences. They were just super atmospheric and uh, really 
caught my attention. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to bring up is that we did get Dr. Irons again. I feel like he's been kind of floating around in the background. But then uh, Silas Stone mentions the fact that his name is John Henry. And that really had me scratching my head because I know from like American folklore, John Henry is like a character like he was known for uh, basically he had the contest with the man-made like mining machine, like drilling machine. Uh, he basically died proving that he was, he was stronger than it. So I'm wondering if this is like, I don't, I don't know anything about this character, but he looks like basically a robot version of Superman. But I'm wondering if it's like John Henry inside this like iron lung or something like that. I don't know. Huh. I don't know. I'll have to do some research and follow up, but again, I invite anybody with more knowledge than either of us to submit your feedback. Let us know. What's we'd, up with John Henry? We'd rather hear it from you than go into deep dives. True, true. I think the last uh, big thing about that episode was the dialogue between uh, Will Harper and Cheshire. Mm, yeah. She was lurking on her baby. Yep, that was that was uh, good, poignant stuff. Uh, Jade continues to be one of my favorite characters, and it's just it really is heartbreaking uh, to see she just continues to make the wrong choices. She really seemed like she had been re- rehabilitated, um, and you you definitely see the the pain in Will's eyes. But the other part of that scene, it did give uh, Violet the opportunity to pick out her own last name and. She decides to become a Harper. Violet Harper. Yeah, the ice cream joke before that kind of made me roll my eyes, too. Saw that coming a mile away. And also, that is a lot of ice cream for all of them. Like, even the baby had, like, five scoops. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They like their ice cream. They've earned their ice cream at this point. They face life and death every day. Good old strawberry ice cream at that. Yeah, I like strawberry ice cream. Me too, love it. All right, we're in good company. All right, I think that's everything I got for exceptional human beings. Oh, I guess uh, part of like the the title there is uh, we talked about the like budding romances that are taking place, but uh, I really highlighted like Jefferson and Helga, but Violet and Brion have obviously had some serious flirtations happening and. He calls her exceptional a couple of times throughout the episode. Dork. Yeah. And for our next episode, we got another freak. Another freak. Cyborg is freaky. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was great. That was great. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, this is... um, we talked about how the last episode kind of set up Victor Stone. This is very much that birth of Cyborg. Victor goes to confront Silas, and then the accident at Star, Lob- Star Labs happens, the explosion, in which he is very, very seriously injured. And I will I will say, um, as far as talking about the vocal performance for uh, Cyborg, it was a gentleman called gentleman named Zeno Robinson, who I'm not uh, familiar with his other work, but I will say, like I, I thought he did a great job emoting and and bringing some of that angst and rage. And I thought he he actually sounded like a like a young Chris Rock when he was getting like his angriest when he's like, 
I'm not some three-year-old kid like trying to sell you mud pies or anything like that. This is my life. This matters. And all of that stuff was, um, even though, you know, it's, it's a story I'm pretty familiar with. I've, I've seen it before. I, I did think it was, uh, really well played and just Silas's callous nature. I, I felt myself really heartbroken for, for Victor. Yeah, it was definitely a good depiction of his background and his story. Um, everybody, learn cable management. It saves lives. Yeah. <laughs> I I did notice how all it was was him just opening the door, just like <laughs> release some kind of cabling and hosing, and it was just, yeah, not not very good fail-safes uh, put into place there. Uh, and a part of me it, at first was kind of like, well, that's kind of like an underwhelming way to go through the story, and then like... After a few seconds, and I was like, no, kind of the, the biggest things that happened to our lives happened because of, like, small mistakes. So it, it was kind of like a good balance of, like, you know, Victor could have done something. Not Victor. Um, oh, my God. Silas. Silas could have done something as simple as just going to his son's game. So something oh, as yeah. simple as, like, tripping over a cable and going through this. Like, it was a, it was a big thing. Yeah. And the fallout of that like when you know the the team rushes in and they find silas there and he's relatively okay but they go to find victor and all you see is his arm underneath the debris and the blood's already starting to pull out it was like okay that's not you know an unusual amount of blood for this show based on some of the things we've seen previously but when you actually get to see his body there and his exposed organs and the blood and the fractured skull and his beating heart just exposed it's 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 done in a tone that's i don't think it's going to give anybody nightmares but it's still for this show it's it's easily some of the most gruesome stuff we've seen yeah they they did not pull any punches on that they just were just like nope this is this is a big deal this is something that they're gonna have to work with and it was it was very gruesome it was very graphic and even, like, the security guards having to watch and the lab assistants and, like, their reactions, like, they they made that a very memorable moment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, just the one guy that keeps, like, telling Silas, like, you, you need to say goodbye. Like, a hospital's not even an option. He's not going to make it. And then when Silas does make the decision to, you know, incorporate the father box he's still got that one guy that's constantly like naysaying through the entire process so yeah because they get the the ekg set up and it's like is it set up do you hear anything it's like well yes and no it's like (laughs) it's time for dialogue like that bud (laughs) yeah yeah and it's sorry I'm, i'm struggling a little bit because i was like debating whether or not i wanted to bring up something from the final episode or not but i'll go ahead and just and just bring it up with cyborg's kind of birth here he's like the product of a human that didn't necessarily die but came close to the brink of death merged with a father box i think it's kind of appropriate that halo is kind of the one that helps quote unquote cleanse him from his rage because we've been kind of wondering what her her deal is so uh, this was the first time we got to see her use that boom tube that we alluded to earlier on. But then in the next episode, you know, through Artemis's musings combined with what Superboy knows about mother boxes and father boxes, they come to the conclusion that uh, Violet is actually a mother box, like 
human, metahuman hybrid. Like she is a living combination of the two. So it's interesting that Cyborg is a human father box hybrid and it's a human mother box hybrid that kind of uh, works in tandem with him. Yeah, and I'll be that... excited to see how that, that relationship fleshes out because it already seems like Brion is jealous. Yeah, the next episode is called Nightmare Monkeys, and we can kind of just put all of the, the Victor Stone story together and then finish up with Gar. Uh, okay. But yeah, it it was it was heartbreaking that like he has this spat with his dad, practically dies and comes back, tries to kill his dad, and then like they just kind of like carry on where they left off or it's like you still don't care about me i'm just gonna leave you entirely uh so that was really heartbreaking that he was just kind of like i'm 18 you can kick me out of here if you want but i am not going back to him like he is firm on like wanting to have nothing to do with his father right now understandably so oh Um, yeah very very understandably so breon had his line of um oh he's gonna tell you about patience now because <laughs> you know he wants to go to college and be a football star like all of this happened within a span of like 20 minutes uh this is kind of a huge thing yeah. to process and deal with and you know he's already fought sphere and fought violet and found out that he's part alien now and the whole thing about like gabrielle dying and the mother box dying and the soul of the mother box being in gabrielle's body and now halo's just like it was like that was a lot to process out he was like I don't know what father-mother shit you guys are talking about. And that's when Superboy was like, wait, who said anything about a father box? And we're we're learning a lot about apocalyptic tech in just that dialogue. Very true. Very true. Um, And then it did, like, I I mentioned the fact that it kind of seemed like there might be the potential for uh, Black Lightning Jefferson to maybe take Cyborg under his wing. And it was was this exchange in this episode that kind of made me think that when you know cyborg does deliver that dialogue that you're talking about where he's like mother boxes father boxes i don't know what you're talking about um but then forager takes off his like enchantment gym and like shows him he's like are you <laughs> freaked out by my appearance and he's like he falls to the ground he's like oh he's like i guess you are freaked out uh by my appearance and he's like no no i'm sorry i was just thrown off guard and then jefferson's like way off guard and he's like yeah way off guard it just felt like they had a connection there yeah it's like hey you're in the you're in the right crowd we all we all relate yeah yeah only other thing is it was uh forager and halo's first day of school so forager now has the moniker of fred bug uh with two g's and and they do make a (laughs) always with two g's and then later on it's an optional two g's uh but they do make a friend harper Rowe. Who I just that that name I, I it stuck out to me so I looked it up and it's a character I don't really know much about. She has to be a, a relatively new character given the fact that she was created by Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. I know they've been it's been a more recent run um, on Batman for them, but apparently she is one of the various uh, young heroes that Batman takes under his wing, Bluebird. So. I'll be interested to see how she is included in the series going forward. Yeah, um the whole thing with Halo and Fredbug was so annoying. Like it made me want to call Lobo and tell him that he was still alive. Like please just finish him off at this point because <laughs> I cannot stand this lack of pronouns anymore. Like it was very frustrating. Yeah. 
Well, it, there was a great joke where Harper asked, like, she's like, I'm going to history. And then he says, oh, we've got English, but we both speak the language flawlessly. And it's like, neither one of them actually do. And he's even worse off than she is. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, th- I think we can kind of go ahead and um, pivot to episode 12. I, I guess just to really give uh, another freak episode 11 justice uh i mean it's it's hard to to top what you did with that uh another freak another freak little <laughs> ad lib but uh we we did talk about how brion and uh nightwing had their kind of like come to come to blows and like talking about patience that's kind of what allowed brion to have that joke where he's like he's going to tell you about patience next but it was a really big uh character development for Brion because there was a while where he feel he really felt one note where it's just like okay this guy is just angry and wants to know about his sister so he has to be told over and over again exercise patience exercise patience but then Nightwing does have that realization he's like I I think you know that we're doing everything that we can in our power it's just you're really concerned with what's going on back in Markovia as well so bat detective work at its finest Indeed. Indeed. All right, so let's go ahead and finish off strong here with episode 12, Nightmare Monkeys. I got to say, when I knew that monkeys were going to be involved, I was expecting a certain joke to happen. And when it didn't happen, I was a little disappointed. Not super disappointed, but just a little disappointed. But uh, Superboy wasn't really even featured. Uh, Was he even in this episode at all? I know McGann was. Uh, yeah, he showed he up was. in the in the hotel room towards the end, and this was the episode where he was talking. Oh yeah, this is when they were talking with like adopting another super person. So the oh, whole yeah, right, the whole right. father box sphere thing happened in this episode. True, true. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, but other than that, we're basically catching up with Beast Boy. You know, earlier on in the season, we knew that uh, Garfield Logan was kind of following in his mother's footsteps, pursuing his acting career. But we didn't really know the full backstory. We get the full backstory here via a very trippy experience. And you kind of told me off air, we we talked about how in season one, the whole Hello Megan revelation was very um, reminiscent of WandaVision. No spoilers for WandaVision, but it kind of plays around with... Um, you know, TV shows within TV shows. But then this, this whole Beast Boys trip with the good goggles, I, I, I was kind of happy that this was the final episode we, we did because it was one of the most memorable episodes of Young Justice. And I think one of the strongest episodes of season three so far, just in terms of like, we basically got a little mini episode of Doom Patrol Go. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting because... And when DC Universe started, it was Titans that came out first, then Young Justice, and then Doom Patrol afterwards. But mm-hmm. the Doom Patrol's debut was in Titans, because Beast Boy was part of the Doom Patrol and then ended up going with the Titans instead. Uh, okay. So seeing three different versions of them in three different series back to back to back was interesting. But with how much I love Teen Titans, it was just it was a really funny uh, play on that. And the voice actor for Gar in the first two seasons was somebody different than 
the one in season three, because this is the voice actor right. that actually was in the original Teen Titans show, and they actually Correct, brought the yes. cast back to do the other Doom Patrol members, but like, yeah, the voice actors for the Teen Titans characters, and it was, it was just it was all fun. It was so silly and so fun. Yeah, yeah, it was really great. It uh, is as funny and like comical and lighthearted as it was. It was actually pretty poignant as well, even though Beast Boy's sitting so there in his kind of like chibi style. He's, yeah, he's welling up and has these tears in his eyes and he doesn't want to lose his second mom. But like that provided, eh, excuse me, that provided all that backstory for me. Like I had no idea, like after he lost his, uh, his mom before he went to go stay with McGann that he had this time with the Doom Patrol. And I think her name was Rita, but she's yeah. Elastigirl. I didn't, I didn't know there was an Elastigirl other than the one that's in the Incredibles. So, uh, great to get that revelation there. And then in earlier on in the episode, we had that, that guy that he kept calling Minto and they talked about whether or not they were both going to be home at the same time. You're like, who the hell is this guy? Yeah. Um, and I guess granny goodness had the line of dialogue that he was a stepdad, but then you learn that Minto was a member of the doom patrol that chickened out at the last second. They went all, all went off on this mission and died and that uh, he chickened out and he was, you know, hiding off somewhere. And that after Beast Boy's time um, in season two with McGannon on the team, that he came back out of the woodwork and wanted to exploit uh, Garfield, you know, basically to, ma- to make money off of him. And that's kind of where we pick up here. He's an, an actor uh, and dating uh, Perdita, who we first got introduced to all the way back in season one that was you know she was the princess i can't remember the name of the country uh, but it's not super important uh it's where count vertigo's from as well but uh wally west was basically transporting the heart that she needed transplanted so uh and it's it's her goggles actually her good goggles are the ones that uh beast boy puts on in the first place so she's kind of there the whole time watching him in this like mental fugue state. And she's the one that contacts both nine one one and McGann to kind of, to kind of try and rescue him. But by the time McGann gets there, Gar has kind of figured things out on his own through his own kind of spiritual journey in which we get a great return of Wally West. I say quote unquote Wally West because it's not really Wally West. It's this monkey God that uh, Gar has decided to, he chose the voice of Wally West to, to voice this monkey. And it, it's, it's kind of a great retcon because young justice, obviously, you know, the first two seasons, there's always been kind of a gap between the seasons, but back when the show was first coming out, I feel like it came out at a time where individual like continuities felt a obligation to kind of come up with their own origin to fit within their own world. And as much as I appreciated the fact that, you know, Beast Boy got kind of part of his powers from Mars and from McGann. This very much like retcon the fact that he was chosen by this monkey god to, um, you know, inhabit this power specifically. So yeah, there was a there was a lot to break down. I, I didn't really think of through the monkey god thing too much. Um, I don't know if it was just kind of like. A conscious thing just it's like he needed something to get out of it so it was like instead of him believing in himself like he kind of just brought up this moniker of a monkey god that helped him help himself get out of it hmm um 
Yeah, I was I was more intrigued with all the backstory was than I was the whole monkey god thing. Yeah, no, I I get that. <laughs> yeah. And there it, I guess like the most WandaVision moment for me is when he's there on the set of Hello Megan and like he's trying to interrupt and his mom's like, Oh, you weren't in this episode and then it's like, Were you even born yet? Yeah. And just that question, it's like very, very trippy and kind of like haunting. Very uh I dig it. I like I like the creepy vibes, but I guess the like major is like in previous seasons I know you did like a, a really um you put effort into like, you know, choosing the particular episode arcs that we were gonna do and then just kind of out of the necessity of time here in preparation for season four, we just decided to break this up into four parts. But I feel like this kind of was a perfect episode to end in, not only just it being so memorable, but um in terms of like the story Beast Boy is the one with the information now that Granny Goodness is at least somewhat involved with the light and and not good. So I feel like that's going to put him directly back into the proceedings with the team and and not being an actor. So uh, hopefully in terms of the story, this was a a nice little uh, stopping point. Yeah, so the show itself, it ran 13 episodes took a six-month break. I think that's oh, when wow. Doom Patrol aired and then came back. So I, I'm, like, looking at the list and feel bad that we kind of forgot an episode that actually was, like, their halfway mark, but we'll add it to the... Oh, geez. We'll add it to part three, our part three. So that, I mean, they just kind of made it easy for me. Um, where it was like, hey, there's this many episodes. It's already split in half. Just split these in half. And you know how much I loved that uh, League of Shadows um, episode. So that was a perfect way to wrap up part one. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this was a great way to just kind of be like, this is where we are right now. Let's get to it. Yeah. Yeah. That's obviously like the big through lines for the season still are that there are various arms or tentacles of the light that are invested in weaponizing metahumans. And, uh, we've got this. They've always, well, I guess with the exception of season one, uh, where it's just the light. In season two, they have their partnership with the Reach. This time around, their partnership is with Darkseid. And I guess that's that's one thing we didn't really bring up with episode one. It's the fact that you did mention we got we got to see the strength of the relationship of Darkseid and Vandal. But there really was just that great moment where Vandal says, you know, to protect our mutual investment, I need resources, and Darkseid gives it to him and yeah you know vandal says it your benevolence and wisdom strengthens our relationship he's he says indeed but there's a lot of menace behind that and we know that this <laughs> partnership that they have is is temporary eventually there's going to be the uh the last man standing in the war between uh, earth and apocalypse what uh what's making you snicker I'm just picturing a meme where you take the heads of Vandal Savage and Darkseid over uh, Leia and Han Solo to saying, I love you. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like it's just a perfect fit. That's funny. That's funny. Well, there's got to be a Darkseid joke in there somewhere, but I'm... I don't have it. Whatever. Whatever. Uh, Anything else you feel like you need to bring up? In terms of the six episodes that we covered here, uh, we we kind of hinted on a little, not hinted, we talked about it a little bit, but I just remembered like the exact words when we talked about 
dark side of when Tim Drake was like, yeah, we should operate like the light works. Except the opposite. Oh, we're right. the anti-light. And Wonder Woman's like, so we're the dark? Mm. What happens when we operate in the dark? So it's very, very foreboding. Like, what's next? Yeah. Poor choice of words. She made Poor him eat those words pretty quickly. Well, and, and then you bring up both Wonder Woman and Tim Drake. That makes me immediately think of Wonder Girl. We haven't seen her since the beginning of the season when she got dumped. Yeah. I, I love Wonder Girl. What's going on with her? We got a lot of episodes to go. True. True. Well, um, yeah, I, I think that's everything that I wanted to highlight on these six episodes. It's nice to get back into the world of Young Justice. Again, I apologize to the listeners and uh, those that have submitted feedback that our coverage has been a little sporadic, but... Uh, you know, it's the perfect time to get back into the world of Young Justice and get excited for it with season four literally debuting next week. So, oh, Brion and what a time. Halo finally kissed. Oh, yeah, yeah. You had that little uh montage of everybody kissing. Who was it? It was Jefferson and Helga, uh, Superboy and McGann. And he's, uh, yeah, and then Brion and Violet, yeah. What are you wearing? Like My a... engagement ring. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Definitely more innuendos in this season, but nothing nothing over the top. They're all adults now. They are. They are. Well, I, I think that, that does it. So, anything you want to let the people know about that you've got going on that's not necessarily associated with animation deliberation my friend uh no it mostly is with animation deliberation uh sorry i'm behind on visions uh i am catching up there is one episode that i absolutely fell in love with and i'm super excited to talk about it uh season five of my hero just ended so excited to chat about that we have a My Hero movie coming out in U.S. theaters October, if not November. Oh, and wow. then uh, we have Demon Slayer starting back up, too. So once that ends up, got a lot of uh, lot of things on the anime end to talk about. Yeah, I noticed on Hulu, it looks like uh, Demon Slayer, they've started breaking up the Mugen Train arc into episodes. So I, I saw that they have the first episode available, but I'm going to wait for at least a, a few episodes to be available before I dive back into the world of, of Demon Slayer, but uh, quite excited to do so. Uh, other than that, I know Cowboy Bebop has right. its live-action series. Oh, go ahead. No, I'm, I'm, I forgot about the Cowboy Bebop stuff. Yeah, I was just going to say, I know the Netflix uh, live-action series, the trailer's out there, and we're obviously an animation-focused podcast, but this is going to be one of those opportunities where we kind of uh, do cover... Uh, an adaptation because we want we'll we'll cover the celebrated 26 episode season um, I wanted to to break it up kind of like Zoo Hair had done for Young Justice but I think just for the sake of time we're probably going to have to do it in more of a truncated fashion uh, but yeah definitely look forward to that outside of the animated realm of things I have been doing a lot of casting maybe a little bit too much casting uh, but I did want to make mention and uh, definitely show my appreciation to all the, all the people that have welcomed me on. So 
I appeared on Captain Game Show. That's a part of the Infinite Potato Alliance, uh, hosted by John Irons, who is a uh, member of the Stranded Panda community. So uh, check out strandedpanda.com, facebook.com, strandedpandachat. That's the network that we're a part of. I also appeared on uh, some episodes of Pandavision for what we do in the shadows and two various uh, ongoing bingers coverage uh, for 007 No Time to Die. I did that with Matt Carroll and Haley Hobbs. And then also we're doing uh, the Halloween films. I'm doing that with Ashley Coffin and uh, Karen Huffstetler for Halloween Kills. So uh, you'll be hearing a lot of my voice for better or worse, depending on what you tune into. And that's T-O-O-N. I'm excited for when we do Cowboy Bebop because like, a lot of the stuff that we've covered together, like I've watched it and you're watching it for the first time, so it's going to be a nice flip of you like getting to see my reactions of Cowboy Bebop. So yeah, I'm I'm really mm-hmm. excited to do that with you. Yeah, likewise, likewise. There's lots to be excited for here, so I encourage everybody to keep tuning in. That's T O N I N. Stay whelmed. Boom. Thank you for listening to the Animation Deliberation Podcast, a proud member of the Stranded Panda Network. If you would like to contact us, you can email animationdeliberationpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at animationdelib1. For this and other great shows, you can visit strandedpanda.com or join the great community that is the Stranded Panda Chat Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash svchat. Tune in next When it's time for an adventure on the open highway, one quick call to American Family Insurance gets you headed in the right direction. Our travel peace of mind package is there if you encounter a bump in the road. From roadside assistance to rental car coverage, we have you covered. Find a local agent or get a quote at amfam.com. American Family Insurance. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, SI, and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. There's a highway that stretches across the 93 days of summer where worship isn't offered to the sun, but to the smoking tire, the S curve, and the spin turn. And if you ride it, make sure you do it in a Dodge Charger, Challenger, or Durango. Because on this highway, the lines being blurred are the ones between drivers and demons. Welcome to Highway 93. Dodge is a registered trademark. Right here in your neighborhood. Here's a little tale about hard-to-recycle plastics. Their destinies were changed. Their new lives are fantastic. What once was trash can live on as new things with a program that complements your regular recycling. plastics can be Hard to recycle plastics can be so much more. Participate in the Hefty Energy Bag program happening in your neighborhood today. Time and remember, stay whelmed. Right here in your neighborhood. Here's a little tale about hard to recycle plastics. Their destinies were changed. Their new lives are fantastic. What once was trash can live on as new things with a program that complements your regular recycling. Plastics can be. Your hard to recycle plastics can be so much more. Participate in the Hefty Energy Bag program happening in your neighborhood today. 
right here in your neighborhood. Here's a little tale about hard to recycle plastics. Their destinies were changed. Their new lives are fantastic. What once was trash can live on as new things with a program that complements your regular recycling. Plastics can be so much more. Give the trash a second chance at what to recycle plastics can be so much more. Participate in the Hefty Energy Bag program happening in your neighborhood today.